Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Particular Baptist Podcast. My name is Daniel Vincent, here with my co-host, Sean Cheatham. You can find us and other podcasts at reformpodcast.com. Again, that's reformpodcast.com. And also check out our blog at theparticularbaptist.net. Andrew, one of our contributors, just put out a really good article on Christ in the Old Testament. So go and check that out at theparticularbaptist.net. Also, next week is the 2021 Keach Conference at Redeeming Grace Baptist Church in uh, Gloucester, Virginia. That'll be September 25th. Uh, We will both be there. We'll actually be doing an episode from there, and I'm also going to be putting together kind of a promotional video for the Keach Conference as well. So look out for that in the coming weeks, Uh, but that'll be next week, September 25th. Um, And with that, I'm going to hand it over to Sean to introduce our topic. Yeah, so today we'll be continuing our study in uh, an Orthodox Catechism by Hercules Collins. Uh, uh, we're on uh, chapter, oh, I'm on the wrong chapter. We're on chapter uh, five, entitled The Second Part of Man's Redemption, uh, parentheses, God the Holy Spirit. And this is a fairly straightforward chapter, but we're going to go through it anyway, and we hope that it will be edifying to you. Um, so with that, I'll hand it back to Dan, who has the first question. All right. So this chapter is kind of interesting because it, even though it says God, the Holy Spirit in the chapter, there really isn't a whole lot in here on the Holy Spirit. It's mostly on salvation and um, of man's redemption. So we'll be talking about man's redemption, the gospel. Um, but the first question here, we have question 52 in chapter five is about the Holy Spirit specifically. Uh, what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? Answer first that he is true and co-eternal God with the eternal father and the son Second, that he has also given unto me to make me partaker of Christ and all his benefits through a true faith to comfort me and to abide with me forever. Um, so one, some things that we see here, first of all, we see the deity of the Holy Spirit. Um, he is held as being the third person of the Trinity. Uh, we see this in other places in scripture. Uh, this, the Holy Spirit is talked about as being the spirit of Christ, Philippians 1.19 for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer in the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So we see Paul here confessing that this is not just any spirit that is being talked about, but the Spirit of Jesus Christ himself. And this points to his deity because, as we all know, the Godhead is one. There is no division in the Godhead. There's distinction in the persons, but not in the essence. So when we say the Spirit of Christ, that has to mean deity. It can't mean anything else. So Paul here is implicitly confessing the deity of the spirit here by saying that he's the spirit of Christ. And we also see the spirit being sent from the father um, and the son, John 14, 16 through 17. And I will pray to the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it is it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be with you. So God's, again, we see this is where we get this idea of spiration from the Father and the Spirit, which has been historically confessed that the Spirit is sent, it proceeds from the Father and the Son eternally, um, and is sent to uh, the disciples and to Christ's people. So we, we see the deity of the Spirit being confessed here and Uh, Hercules Collins was very careful to point that out, I think, because of the importance of it, uh, that he is really God. But the Spirit also 
uh, helps to guarantee our participation in the benefits that are received in Christ, as it says in the question. It's second that he is also given unto me to make me partaker of Christ in all his benefits through a true faith. And we see an example of this in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, which says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So actually Paul earlier on in, in chapter one of Ephesians says that we've received all the spiritual benefits, essentially all of the, uh, in, in the heavenly realms, um, in Christ Jesus and the spirit. And then he basically finishes near the end of chapter one, saying that the Holy Spirit is our seal and our guarantee of that inheritance that we will receive um, uh, to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit seals and guarantees that we will receive those things uh, which are to come, and we already have these things in Christ. So the Holy Spirit seals us. And if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we are not Christ, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8. So the Holy Spirit plays a very important role uh, in our salvation and in our walk uh, throughout the Christian life. That was question 52. All right. On to question 53. What do you believe concerning the Holy and Catholic Church of Christ? Answer. I believe that the Son of God does, from the beginning to the end of the world, gather, defend, and preserve for himself by his spirit and word out of the whole of mankind, a company chosen to everlasting life and agreeing in true faith, and that I am a lively member of that company, and so shall remain forever. Um, so this is a uh, very apt and very poetic way of uh, letting us know that the Catholic Church, uh, Catholic means universal, the universal church is uh, only, uh, is made of the elect. It's not a mixed church. Um uh, it's those that are in faith or have faith and uh, will remain that way forever. And specifically here, um, Hercules Collins lets us know that uh, we're, we're remaining forever. We're preserved uh, by two means that God uses, by his spirit and word. And that's, um, that's something that's a little bit hard to understand. Um, there are a lot of people uh, out there that sort of have the idea that uh, the doctrine of uh, perseverance of the saints means that once we believe we're good and we don't need to worry about staying on the path, but God does actually use means to keep us on the path. Um, there are uh, plenty of warnings in the uh, New Testament about uh, making sure that we remain in the faith. And it almost sounds like, uh, in a sense, uh, we could lose our salvation. Hebrews uh, 10, 26 through 35 for if we sin willfully after we have uh, received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who rejects Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much more punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled under the Son of God underfoot? counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. 
it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by uh, reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. So here the uh, author of Hebrews is saying that um, to, to believers, it sounds like um, uh, don't cast away your confidence that you had. Um, uh, you, ha- you knew that you had a, a better and enduring possession in heaven. Uh, but he's saying that if you cast this away, you will fall into the hands of the living God. Um, and yet we have promises that say that believers will not fall away. Uh, John six thirty five through 40. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I have said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. And this... um, I might have duplicated that last sentence, but um, regardless, uh, this is uh, showing us that um, Jesus came with a mission to lose none, and he's, and we know that uh, Christ will accomplish this mission. John 10, uh, 27 through 29, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. So no one is able to um, snatch us out of Christ's hand. We will persevere to the end. Um, And ultimately, neither of these principles are in contradiction when we understand them biblically. Uh, Hebrews and the other warning passages in the Bible uh, do not say that anyone actually loses their salvation, only that they will if they do not continue in the faith. In fact, if you continue to read in uh, Hebrews 10, the author says that he and his audience are not of those that fall away. Um, so while it is technically possible to fail in perseverance, it's not actually possible because God is the one who's keeping us. If he were to neglect us, we would perish, but he is not a negligent father to us. Um, and God used means to keep us in there, the means being, as we read, the spirit and the word. Um, and we, all, we recognize that God used means to save us. He used his word to and spirit to save us. So we shouldn't necessarily be shocked that he would use means to keep us in. So for anyone who reads those warning passages, if they're a believer, um, the spirit will guide them to recognize the danger that they're in and stay on the path and they will persevere. So it's important to recognize this is not a meansless, like fatalistic. Okay. I'm in, I'm, I'm good. We have to be on guard. But we know that God has promised that we will succeed in being on guard. Can I say something to that, Sean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so it, it's a, that's a good point you bring up that it might be it's possible that we might be able to fall away, but not actually possible. It's kind of like yeah. when we look at um, salvation and you brought this up like in equipping our church, um, how Adam could have technically or we could technically be saved by keeping the law if we were mm-hmm. able to keep the law but we aren't actually able to keep the law. Um, but that does not 
negate faith or the righteousness of Christ or anything like that because there's that possibility. Um, and I guess in another way you could look at it too, that the writer may not know he's assuming everyone's a Christian, but also maybe assuming mm-hmm. that there are those who aren't in, in the congregation um, and that there are those who will actually fall away who were not actually saved in the first place, but are given the appearance of being saved. Mm-hmm. That's, um, that's, so that's those also are some two possibilities, sure. I guess. Mm-hmm. And then do I have the next question? Yep. I do. Sorry about that. Question 54. Uh, what do these words mean, the communion of saints? Answer. First, that all and everyone who believes are in common partakers of Christ in all his graces as being his members. And then that everyone ought readily and cheerfully to bestow the gifts and graces which they have, been, uh, they have received to the common commodity and safety of all. Um, So it's important to note that uh, our communion starts with Christ and it's through him that we have uh, a communion with one another. We aren't brothers and sisters by our common humanity. If that were the case, there'd be no difference in the communion that we have with unbelievers. Uh, But we are part of the family of God and we should treat our uh, true brothers in the faith differently. Um, We should cheerfully uh, bestow the gifts and graces which we have received uh, to the common commodity and safety of all. And I didn't look it up prior to this, but um, Paul somewhere says that um, the point of the gifts are, is not for you. It doesn't end with you. You aren't given a gift for yourself. You're given so that you might share those gifts with the body of believers, with the church. Um, and that's important to recognize. We don't exist unto ourselves. We exist for others. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's in stark contrast to the episode we did on the Pope, right? Where he saw this common community in communion with yes. essentially other religions and others. Oh, they're all our brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't, the distinctions don't matter that much. Um, but we do see this well, stark distinction that we have in the scriptures. I don't know that he would use the language brothers and sisters in Christ, although he might. I, I don't know. But he would recognize brothers and sisters. But spiritually speaking, we can only be brothers and sisters in Christ. Right. There is no other, yep. there is no other category. Yes. We're all technically related to one another because we all descend from Adam and Eve, but in terms of spiritual brotherhood and sisterhood that only can exist in God, there is no other yeah. way for it to exist. And I think that's kind of, I think that's where the Pope was going with that. It's just, we have the spiritual yes. brotherhood with yeah. these other, with these other religions that uh, are, ex, you know, exclusive against the christian faith but yeah yeah how can how you can you say that uh your brother to someone who has a different father than you we are we are brothers because we have god as our father but uh for some for islam they deny that god even is a father so how can it be that we would be brothers it doesn't even logically follow we're all children of abraham sean come on all right by Uh, faith question 55 (laughs) (laughs) Question 55, what do you believe concerning remission of sins? Uh, that God, for the satisfaction made by Christ, has put out all the remembrance of my sins, and also of that corruption within me, which I must fight all my lifetime, and does freely endow me with the righteousness of Christ, that I come not at any time unto judgment. So this is a reference to the satisfaction made by Christ on the cross. We see this, I think, most clearly, or one of the most clear places is in Romans 3, 25 to 26, 
uh, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So that satisfaction is the wrath of God being poured out on the Son and through Christ's death um, provides eternal uh, propitiation for our sins so that God's wrath is no longer uh, abiding on us so that the wrath of God is no longer hanging over our heads ready to strike when we die or waiting for us at the last day. Uh, we have that satisfaction in Christ so that we cannot come under judgment any time. And then through, as a result of that propitiation and satisfaction, we have forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So this forgiveness of sins can only be found uh, in the work of Christ on the cross uh, through that passive obedience and th of his death and through his positive obedience uh, of keeping the law and that being imputed to us. We are forgiven. There is no sins to forgive. There is nothing to uh, go back and deal with. It's taken care of for eternity. Um, and this kind of goes back to our, you know, we, we see with our Lutheran friends, um, they have this issue when talking about apostasy. They want to say that we are believing in justification by faith alone and it's objective, but then you can also fall away um, at some point in your life as someone who is actually justified. Uh, the problem with that is if justification is truly effectual and brings about forgiveness of sins, it, that our account is completely covered with the righteousness of Christ, there can be no sins to go back and forgive in an objective sense. Um, so you create problems there with regards to justification. We have uh, eternal uh, security, for lack of a better term, in Jesus Christ because of his death and the work that he did on the cross and because of the obedience that he kept to the law that is imputed to our accounts for those who believe in his work, in his gospel by faith. And so that is our great rest. And it, it's uh, encouraging when it says in the question at the end, um, in my lifetime does not freely, does freely endow me with the righteousness of Christ that I come not at any time unto judgment. There is no time where the true believer who is resting in Christ is going to uh, come under the, the judgment of God in the ultimate sense of the term. So we have that rest and we have that peace knowing that uh, we are taken care of in our standing before the tribunal of God. We can go into heaven with the righteousness of Christ um, without any fear of condemnation. And that is a glorious truth that we can hold on to. Um, and then we take that hope to the world um, as we, the church, carry out the Great Commission. And that's a truth that actually should propel us forward. I suspect yeah. a lot of uh, um, people that would come against the doctrine of uh, preservation of the saints, perseverance of the saints, um, have the idea that once, well, now, now you know you're saved, so why worry about doing anything good? But as we talked about, there, there's means that God uses to preserve us. Um, it's not in of ourselves that we'll persevere. It's still God acting on the world to keep us. But um, we have confidence and we can walk boldly knowing that God will preserve us to the end. And uh, we can live out the Christian life doing good and going into um, 
going into the world and we know that we will not fall down and be destroyed. It should propel us forward in confidence. It shouldn't be a, an excuse for laziness. That's right. That's right. It should propel us to greater holiness. And I think that's mm -hmm. Paul's argument in Romans 6 is that you've been given grace, so you shouldn't be lazy. You should now be putting sin to death. Mm -hmm. um, it, grace, just because sin abounds and grace abounds, doesn't mean that you can't, you know, you don't sit yeah. idly and do nothing. Yeah. You should be thankful for that grace, not take it for yes. granted. Yep. Amen. Amen. And then question 56, uh, what comfort do you have by the resurrection of the flesh that not only my soul after it shall depart out of my body shall presently be taken up to Christ, but that this my flesh also being raised up by the power of Christ shall again be united to my soul and made like the glorious body of Christ. Now, this is talking about the final resurrection. Um, we see... You know, 1 Corinthians 15 is one of probably the more lengthy passage that we find on the resurrection and what will happen specifically. I think in one of the, uh, I think in 1 Thessalonians, you can find some things as well. Um, Philippians 1.23, for I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. And that is actually quoted here by Hercules Collins as a proof text um, that when we leave the body, if we, you know, before Christ comes back, we die. We go to be with Christ. Our soul goes to be with Christ. But Paul makes it very clear um, that our bodies will also be raised as well. It's not just our souls that are going to be with Christ. Our bodies will be with Christ as well, and, and they will be reunited. We will have glorified bodies uh, in the new heaven and the new earth. Um, so there is resurrection. It's not We're not dead in the ground, and that's it. Uh, you know, the hopeless life of the naturalist or atheist, um, we have something to look forward to. We will see our Lord one day, whether it be before he comes back when we die, or it will be when he comes back while we're still living, we will see him um, and and it will be a glorious day. But that's what we that's what we move forward to in our Christian life. We're pilgrims moving towards that day, um, looking forward to Christ coming and being with him. Amen. All right, moving on to question 57. What comfort do you take from the article of everlasting life? Answer, that for as much as I have already in my heart, uh, as I feel already in my heart, the beginning of everlasting life, it shall at length come to pass that after this life, I shall enjoy full and perfect bliss, wherein I may magnify God forever, which blessedness surely neither eye has seen nor ear heard, neither has any man in thought conceived it. And you've got the interesting, um, the interesting uh, parallel, or not parallel, but you've got multiple things going on here that we will be in perfect bliss and magnifying God forever. And for the Christian, these are not two separate things, but these are, are intimately related. Um, we will recognize God for his worthiness and magnify him forever. And that will be part of our perfect bliss because we know that we are doing good um, and we, we love our God and want to magnify him forever. Um, and uh, we, have, uh, we don't know exactly what this looks like now. Um, we're given a, a partial picture of it um, in the New Testament, but we don't truly know what this is going to be like. But we have assurance from God in the promises um, that he's given that we will, we will be perfectly happy and thus we, we rest in it. Uh, by faith. We don't need to know specifically what it is, uh, but we know 
that it will be good and we trust God. Amen. Amen. And in looking at the our notes here and the catechism, I skipped 58 59, so I'll take my shot at these. Um, what oh, I thought you is... did that purposefully. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. I think it was an oversight on my part, um, but we'll knock these out. So question 58, uh, what purpose or what profit is there to you when you believe all these things? Answer that I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir to eternal life. So Hercules Collins is essentially culminating these thoughts here in, into one uh, ultimate thought that we're righteous before uh, we're God in Christ and we're an heir to eternal life. That's really what it boils down to. When we're talking about the gospel, the gospel makes us right before God and prepares us for the, the, the world to come. And then that is our rest and our security as we move through in this life. And then he talks about in question 59, how are you righteous before God? Answer, only by faith in Christ Jesus. Although my conscience accused me that I have grievously trespassed against all the commandments of God and, not, and have not kept one of them, and further, am as yet prone to all evil. Yet nevertheless, if I embrace these benefits of Christ with a true confidence and persuasion of mine, the full and perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, without any merit of mine, of the mere mercy of God, is imputed and given to me. And that also, as if neither I had committed any sin, neither any corruption did stick to me. Yes, as if I myself had perfectly accomplished that obedience which Christ accomplished for me now this is essentially this is a truncated gospel message right here focusing on the righteousness of jesus christ um, but that's really where our satisfaction comes from the death of christ taking care of the wrath of god against sin and then christ's righteousness taking care of the problem that we have uh, violated god's law as he says here uh, we have and have not kept one of them and that's consistent with Romans 3, starting at verse 9, where Paul talks about our state before God. There's none who is righteous, no, not one. There's none who seeks after God. And he's quoting from the Old Testament. Um, but we do see this dire, you know, this dire issue that the human race has of sin. Um, and Christ's righteousness uh, fixes that problem from a judicial standpoint. And we are now able to stand before God, as Colin says here, uh, as if I myself had perfectly accomplished that obedience which Christ has accomplished for me. It's as if I did keep God's law perfectly myself. And so God can see, he looks at us and he says, not guilty, not guilty, because of what Christ did. It's a vicarious action that Christ did um, that accomplishes that righteousness for us. And that is our only um, hope before God from a judicial standpoint, the, right, the death of Christ taking the propitiate the satisfaction or taking the wrath of God and his righteousness. So the only ways that we're going to be standing before God rightly on that judgment day and now. So it's, uh, it's really a joy to read this because it, it reminds us of that, uh, that blessedness we have in Jesus Christ that we can, that we can rest in, uh, in his gospel. Uh, and then finally question 60, uh, why do you affirm that you are made righteous by faith only? Not because I please God through the worthiness of mere faith, but because only the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God, and that I cannot take hold of it or apply it to myself any other way than by faith. And this is, I think, consistent with our confession, because in chapter, I think it's chapter 11, that's about justification. 
but it specifically says that our right our faith is not accounted to us as righteousness um our faith is not itself so although it is pleasing to god it's not contributing to our salvation in any way it's not like we've checked the mark on god's law list and we are satisfying that and therefore god owes us something um, as paul says would happen in romans 4 if we were able to obey god's law um but no it, it's just the means by which righteousness comes and the righteousness of christ is our only way of being uh made righteous before god and his death um so that's important that's important distinction to note when talking about faith but faith is the only means by which the righteousness uh, of christ is imputed to us in his uh, passive yeah. obedience and his death yeah faith is not a new law to keep that right. we would be righteous by our faith Amen. um as well see i'll go into in the next um the next question uh we are not able to keep the law to god's satisfaction and god has not lowered his standard to oh now the law is only faith no uh we mm. still need to be perfectly righteous in all aspects before god um Amen. and i guess this would actually be a good time to jump into that question question 61 why can't our good works by uh be excuse me why can't our good works be righteousness or some part of righteousness before god answer because the righteousness which must stand fast before the judgment of god must be in all points perfect and agreeable mm. to the law of god now our works even the best of them are imperfect in this life and defiled by sin and uh, one of the proof texts a very powerful proof text is galatians three ten. Uh, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse for it is written Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So God's standard, God is perfect. God is perfectly holy. He will not lower his standard for us. And we need to ha meet that standard perfectly in order to spend eternity with him. And all our works are at least partially corrupted by sin. We do things, even good things, for the wrong reasons sometimes. If I hand money to the homeless person on the street, but really in the back of my mind, it's like, oh, the person I'm with is going to look at me and think I'm so wonderful. That's not doing it for the right reasons. It's doing it selfishly, and thus it, it does not credit to our account. Um, our righteousness has to be perfect, and that's why we need Christ's righteousness. Um, I don't know. Did you have any comments on that, Dan, before I move on? Uh, no, I think you said it very well. And actually, I missed I missed a point that I want to go back to. Um, this is something that the world has the hardest time understanding about Christianity, but this is core to the gospel. The world cannot understand how it can't be right with God. You look at all the other religions of the world, and they are religions of if they have any concern about the state of man after death, they um, or that man is is wicked in some way, they will recognize or they will try to uh, bridge that gap by law by doing things in order to be made uh, righteous. And um, we know that, that that's impossible. But this is the only way um, that we can be made righteous with God. It's through another. Um, on to verse uh, six, or question sixty two. How is it that our good works merit nothing, seeing God promises that he will give a reward for them both in this life and the life to come? 
Answer, that reward is not given of merit, but of grace. And people want to try and, and mix this, that, oh, we recognize that there's grace, but it's also partially of merit. Uh, but the Bible would have us, um, the Bible always makes a distinction between these things, and they are uh, diametrically opposed. Romans eleven six, and if by grace, then it is no longer works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace, otherwise work is no longer work. Um, it cannot be a mixture of both. It has to either be grace or by works. And as we were saying before, it is possible, theoretically possible, to merit eternal life. Now, no one except Christ can possibly do this, but it is theoretically possible that they could. But Christ has merited that on our behalf. And by faith, if we are in him, we are count- as we've said, we are counted his righteousness, and that is how um, we to um, to be saved. Uh, grace is Christ was not obligated to give us his righteousness. We didn't earn it by our faith, so it's still of grace that he gives it to us. It's unmerited favor. He hasn't. He was not obligated to give it to us, but um, he does. So in all ways, it comes by grace and not by ourselves. Amen. Amen. Yeah, and I think people do get. I think people get tripped up on that concept that, yeah, it is theoretically possible to keep God's law and be saved. They think, oh, wait, 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 now you're talking about works. Whoa, calm down. Calm down. It's like, well, that's kind of what the gospel is predicated on or based on, right? It's based on us not keeping the law perfectly. And if we could, then we could technically get into heaven because Christ is actually doing that for us. Um, But because of our sinful nature, we can't do it. And that's why Christ... Um, must do it for us if we are to be here. This is what God in the covenant redemption, the Godhead uh, predestined that would happen. And this is how uh, it's going to come uh, come to pass. So, uh, you know, we're, we're not saying that you are saved by works, we're saved by Christ, but, you know, because of the way the law of God and essentially his judicial system is laid out, you could theoretically be saved if, if you were able mm-hmm. to keep his offer. But we can't. Mm-hmm. We, need I would, we need Christ. I would like to point out also, by the time someone comes to the knowledge that you could be theoretically saved by your works, you've already ruined it because you've already sinned. You you sin mm. as you sin as a child. Yep. Um, so by the time time you yeah. come to that understanding that the the scriptures teach this, you're already it's already too late. And God yep. doesn't forget the sins of our youth except by Christ. Um, so we can't we can't say, oh, but I I, I was sin as a child that doesn't count no all, all your sins count and there's no way to atone for them by yourself you need christ mm. amen amen all right our final question of the chapter question 63 uh, but does this doctrine make men careless and profane answer no those who are incorporated into christ through faith necessarily bring forth the fruits of thankfulness uh and we touch upon this a little bit already but the when we are saved, it transforms you, right? Paul says that we are a new creature. We have a new nature. And because of this, our desires are different. Our longings are different. Our actions are going to be different. Uh, we see this in multiple places in Scripture. First uh, John is probably the best place to go in, in terms of talking about what a true Christian looks like. First uh, John 2, 3. Now, by this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments so this is 
the evidence that you know Christ or you know God if you obey him. That's that's the outpouring of that change that we have in our hearts. Uh, John 14, 6, Jesus, this is Jesus saying, uh, if you love me, keep my commandments, right? If you say you love me, then do what I say. It's it's a pretty simple dichotomy. You you say you love me, you're going to do what I say. There's there's no way that someone can uh, be a true Christian and live completely how they want without any fruit. That that's impossible in the eyes of the scriptures. Um, and, and then Romans six, we talk about this as well. Romans six one through four. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. So baptism being the symbolization of uh, the death uh, that we of, of Christ's death, really identif us identifying with him in that, um, it should lead us to live differently because we have changed, uh, we have changed hearts. Um, and so that's really what uh, the ultimate end of the matter is that I think uh, Mr. Collins is bringing out here, is that all of these things that have changed us now lead us to uh, not be lazy, not to be complacent in our Christian walk, but should have us move forward um, in obedience. And Paul says that we should, we should have zeal. Right, we should have zeal for the things of God. We should be uh, moving forward strongly and pressing into the kingdom of God, um, and and moving forward in our Christian life. Um, Sean, did you want to add anything else before we close? Um, I think all that pretty much covers it. All right. Well, that continue that closes out chapter five. I think. Uh, let's see how many chapters are there? Chapter twelve. Twelve chapters. Okay. Yeah. There's 12 chapters in here, um, so hopefully we'll be able to finish this out before too long, but we'll continue along in our uh, in our discussion of an Orthodox Catechism uh, by Hercules Collins. This has been a really good study. Hercules Collins made this really, it, it's um, the uh, Heidelberg Catechism redone uh, from a Baptist perspective, essentially. Um, so it's been very helpful, definitely been a blessing. So we'll continue on that uh, probably throughout the rest of the year. Um, and we'll see where we are uh, by January. Uh, but uh, thank you for joining us today. I um, hope it's been edifying and beneficial. Um, again, next week we will be at the Keach Conference. It probably won't be a live episode. It'll be, I think it's going to be pre-recorded and released later, but keep an eye out for that. Uh, Dr. James Renahan is going to be the keynote speaker there, so we look forward to that. He's going to be talking about the chapter in the 1689 on uh, saving faith. Very much looking forward to that. Keep an eye out for the episode and the upcoming promotional video um, after that. But until then, uh, we hope that everyone has a great weekend and a great Lord's Day, and we'll talk to you soon. God bless.